welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. I hope you had a great weekend. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number 877-973-7425. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has been lowered in the ground. That's the biggest international story. The biggest domestic story, I suppose, has been generated by my next guest who's joining me out of the gate today. The governor of the wonderful state of Florida, Ron DeSantis, joins me. Governor, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. So I really, really actually want to talk about Florida, your reelection and the future of the state. But I got to ask you out of the gate, uh, if you would uh, just kind of explain the rationale for moving the illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. And I want to give you a chance to kind of address that, that I think nonsensical story that none of these people knew where they were going. Well, yeah, on the second part, so this is done uh, with a vendor that the state of Florida has contracted with, and the vendor got written consent forms from everybody that was transported, uh, also provided a packet that had a map of Martha's Vineyard, numbers on the vineyard for social services, as well as for the state of Massachusetts. So there was no doubt that that's where they were going. And in fact, uh, when they were getting ready to do the transport, there were some of the migrants who said, you know what, you know, we don't want to go to Massachusetts. And so they did ended up not going. So it was purely voluntary. And it was that. And here's the thing. The policy that we have is simply, uh, I would like to see President Trump's border policies reinstituted. I mean, most of the people coming across the border illegally uh, are making bo- effectively bogus asylum claims. So if they're making asylum claims that we know 95 plus percent are not going to be valid or 90 percent, they should wait in Mexico, let that claim be adjudicated. If they have a valid claim, then obviously, you know, they're entitled uh, to, to, to use that law to come in. Uh, but instead, what Joe Biden's done is he's basically opened the border. You have people pouring in. Forty uh, percent of the folks, because I've had people on the southern border help in Texas last year and then in our conversations, you know, between 30 and 40 percent have said Florida is one of their preferred destinations. And so we obviously uh, are not a sanctuary state. We just can't absorb. It's not the way you do policy to just have floods of people uh, coming in. And so what Biden and so our view is, is, you know, we want to divert to sanctuary states who have said that's their policy. So that's why we got the $12 million in the budget. You know, we've also things done things uh, that haven't gotten as much press, like we've had interdictions in the panhandle. We've seized narcotics. We've been able to bring some of the, uh, coy- I guess they're coyotes or smugglers uh, mm-hmm. up on charges. But that's kind of a onesie-twosie thing. If you're able to get into a sanctuary jurisdiction, the hope is, is that they would stick uh, because they'd be able to have benefits and, and, and whatnot. But also, I do believe that the people that proclaim to be sanctuary jurisdictions are the ones advocating for this open border policy. And yet a lot of them seem to not want to have to deal with any of the consequences of their own policies. And I think what happened in Martha's Vineyard is an example of that. I mean, they they had proclaimed to be a sanctuary uh, area. They had said that they wanted to be a hub. I think Ted Cruz uh, last year had said that they should be the place. And these politicians are saying, yeah, we want to be the place for that. Okay. So then, and when you have just 50 of them, not only did they not be, be, did not act as a sanctuary, they called in the National Guard and they deported them off the island the next day. <laughs> so it just shows they want to impose burdens on the rest of the country, but they don't want to do it. So ideally... You wouldn't have buses going from El Paso to New York like you have. You wouldn't have Greg uh, Abbott doing buses or Florida doing any of this stuff. You would just recognize that the policy of Biden has failed, change it, 
and then a lot of these problems would go away. You said something this weekend that, I mean, it kind of struck me to the core because I had forgotten about it myself, but 53 illegal aliens died in a tractor trailer in Texas. The federal government changed not a single policy. You send 50 to Martha's Vineyard and the president scrambles the entire administration to take action. That, that really was a striking contrast. And here's the thing, Eric, the folks that went to Martha's Vineyard, you know, Biden is having these people going in. The federal government just basically, yes, I know they do fly some people around, but mostly people, they just abandoned. So these people were basically homeless. I mean, they, they had nowhere where really to integrate to. And so this was a huge uh, benefit for them. They've actually, some of those uh, folks have written into the vendor, thanking the vendor for being able to effectuate their transport. So they went, uh, clearly it was beneficial for them uh, to be able to do it. Now, obviously, Martha's Vineyard didn't want anything to do with it, and so they, they deported them. But, but the reality is, when you hear some of the people acting like it's inhumane to transfer to a sanctuary jurisdiction, that doesn't make any sense because the, the, uh, they're in destitution, basically, because of the federal government's really reckless policies. And so um, at the end of the day, Martha's Vineyard didn't want to put their money where their mouth is. I, I, I understand that. I mean, I think that they're I think they're willing to virtue signal if it's uh, just self-congratulatory type stuff, but they really didn't want to follow through with it. But it has raised the issue now uh, of this border because the corporate press doesn't want to talk about any of the things that a lot of conservatives have been uh, have been concerned with a long time. And yes, the fentanyl has affected Florida. We've had criminal aliens commit serious crimes uh, against Floridians. And then we do have just kind of the migrants who a lot of them, you know, they are not necessarily committing crimes. They just, they're economic migrants. But that, that causes stress on communities, as we saw. Even the wealth, one of the wealthiest in the country said they didn't have the resources to take care right. of 50. How do these border towns do? So all of those are important. But I also just think as an American people, People look and say, okay, do you have control over your border and your territory or not? And it makes us look like a third world country when you see all these images coming in of just chaos day after day after day. Well, now people are talking about it, and I think people are going to have to defend uh, who, who, are, who are for Biden's policy. They're going to have to defend it. And, you know, it's pretty much indefensible. It is. Now, okay, we, we've gotten that out of the way. I actually really want to focus on Florida because so many, we're not even to the midterms yet, and so many people want to talk about 2024. I'd actually, I'm curious about your reelection in Florida. My dad is a first-generation American born and raised in Coral Gables. I took him to his high school reunion, 50th high school reunion, a couple of years ago, and he wanted to go show me where they used to go on mission trips down to this Indian reservation. It was now an Aston Martin dealership. It, the whole place has exploded down there. He couldn't believe it. The economic growth in Florida has been astonishing, particularly during COVID compared to other states. What does a second-term Ron DeSantis administration look like for Florida? Well, I think you will continue to see a, um, a continuation of, of, of income and wealth moving into Florida. And to be honest with you, Eric, these other governor's races will have something to say about that. I mean, for example, in your state, I think Brian Kemp's going to win that race. I think he's done a good job. But if, if Stacey Abrams were to win, that would spark refugees out of Georgia to Florida. There's no question about it. Some of these other states where if they don't get a good governor, that could definitely cause people to make those decisions. And I think what happened since COVID was uh, we were standing out as kind of a, a place, a refuge of sanity. The world had gone totally mad. A lot of those blue states had had a lot of bad policy anyways with taxes or whatnot. But then when you added COVID lockdowns and the irrationality of their COVID policies to then crime 
and some of the stuff with the schools and the indoctrination. It really created a perfect storm. So people have said, I'm voting with our feet. So I think you're going to continue to see that. Now, there's there's benefits that come with that. I mean, for example, our budget last year ended at $102 billion, and we had a $22 billion surplus. That's by far the most in the history of the state of Florida. So you have benefits. You also have challenges uh, because as more people come, and it's not just people moving. Uh, our visitation was off the charts in 2021. We had almost 45 percent of all international visitors to the U.S. were to the state of Florida. And so we've really been the destination for a lot of people now. Uh, so that means you have challenges with things like infrastructure. Uh, it does mean that the state, although we're well positioned, I'm very mindful of some of the national economic turmoil that we've experienced on the inflation front. But, but I think there's a lot more turmoil to come with Biden's policies. And so we're looking at this budget surplus of $22 billion to say, OK, we got to return some to the taxpayers. So we're going to do the biggest tax relief that we've ever done. I've already announced uh, slashing tolls for all commuters by 50 percent across the state, which people will love that. And that'll save. That'll save some people, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred a year, depending on how much they're commuting and how many tolls. We're going to roll out tomorrow, so stay tuned. A whole host of really family-friendly. Uh, tax relief. So, for example, one of the things we did this year, we did a holiday for all baby items like diapers and wipes and all these other things. And my wife, you know, we have a five, a four, and a two-year-old, and she's like, "Why did it take you to your fourth year as governor before you did the baby <laughs> stuff?" We don't. Our two oldest have long been out of diapers, and our two-year-old is pretty good now too. But, but I think from a family, so we're going to do a lot of things to make a lot of that stuff permanent uh, for families because we really the, the migration that we've seen. We've always had retirees, but it has been a lot of families have come because they're they're interested in that. So we're going to do do big tax relief, but what we're also going to do, and we'll be rolling this out in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do an infrastructure moonshot to try to get ahead of a lot of the growth that we're seeing. Uh, we always have a really robust transportation infrastructure budget. This year was the biggest ever. We're known of having a good uh, uh, FDOT. Our, our agency is, is, is heralded around the country as being efficient. At the same time, you know, there's areas around the state uh, that are getting congested. And so we're going to put kind of some rounds on the target, so to speak, to say, hey, let's accelerate. Instead of taking 20 years to do, let's put some money in right now and accelerate. So I think that that'll be exciting for people because those are some of those projects will break ground uh, within maybe a year or 18 months from now and be able to be completed way, way in advance of if we just kind of let this stuff go on autopilot. You know, we were down there a couple of weeks ago. My daughter wants to be a rocket engineer. She wanted to go to NASA for her birthday. What re- thing that really struck me, I mean, I go to Florida all the time. It was the first time I noticed it, is the rest stops along the way. They're the counters so the 18-wheelers know how many spaces are available. They can pull in and not have to park on the side of the road like they do in so many states. I was actually really impressed with that project that's been implemented in, in the state over the years. I'd never seen anything like it and sure was handy that we weren't having to dodge 18 wheelers trying to pull off the side of the road to meet their hours at night. They had a place to pull in. Um, yeah, speaking, no, of, for sure. speaking of infrastructure down there, you've got this explosive growth and I'm always struck by progressive friends of mine who some of them don't even particularly care for you, but they always remark that you've done a really good job as governor balancing uh, the explosion of growth, but also the environmental concerns and the diverse ecology in Florida. How do you as a Republican, when when Democrats go all in on climate change and stuff, how do you look at it as as public policy to balance the environment and the economy? 
Well, I think what I'm doing is reaching back to the historical roots of the Republican Party with people like Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, they were conservationists that wanted to leave what we were given uh, from God better than we found it. But part of the reason we wanted to do that is because we want to enjoy the, the beautiful natural environment. We want to be able to pass that on to our kids and grandkids to be able to enjoy. I think what the left is doing, they get off on the global warming stuff, and they basically want to use that as a pretext to do policies they would want to impose on society anyways. Uh, so I'm not doing any of that. What I'm doing is focusing on things that actually impact people's lives. And when I became governor, I had kind of you know, the sugar industry opposed me. A lot of policy in Florida had been more geared toward kind of helping that industry to the exclusion of some of the other things. So there was a lot of communities that have been very frustrated with that. So I said, look, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to move forward. I'm going to get it done. We're going to be in a good spot. So I came into office. We did a big executive order, reoriented policy. We also eventually passed a bill for uh, for water quality that went through the legislature. Uh, but I said, I am going to put real money on to get the infrastructure in place that you need to. So, for example, Lake Okeechobee, when that would rise, it's controlled by the Army Corps of Engineers. They would spew the water out into the, the estuaries that would go out to the West Coast and East Coast of Florida. The problem is, you know, there's a lot of runoff that goes into Lake Okeechobee. There's a lot of nutrients. So it ends up sparking things like algae blooms. Well, that's not good. So what we've done is we've accelerated a lot of the water infrastructure. We now have a reservoir that's complete on the east side of Lake Okeechobee. We're going to have one complete on the west side. And then we've done a lot to accelerate this reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee. We've also made infrastructure improvements to, say, like raise some of the, the bridges so that so more water can go, raising roads. So you now have the way God intended the Florida Everglades was that water would flow uh, down through the Everglades into Florida Bay. But that has kind of been choked off over the years for different reasons. We're now restoring that flow uh, down to Florida Bay. And so the water in Florida Bay uh, is much better than when I became governor. We've had fewer algae blooms than I think probably in any four-year period in, in modern modern uh, Florida. But a lot of it is just making sure you have the infrastructure in place to clean water and to be able to put it where it needs to go and not have dirty water going where we don't want it to go. Governor, last question for you. Um, you. You got an open mic here, and I know a lot of people in Georgia are listening on, on my flagship station. How would you explain to Republicans who continually punt on the issue of giving kids access to better school choice opportunities? How would you ex explain to them that looking at Florida, this is school reform is probably a good idea for other Republicans to embrace? So here's what I can tell you. We, we just ranked number one by Heritage Foundation for uh, Education Freedom. We've always been ranked number one for education choice. Arizona's now give, gave us a run for the money, but we're clearly one of the tops. When I was growing up in Florida, we were not near the top of performance. Uh, and I went to Florida schools. Well, now Education Week ranks us number three for K-12 achievement. The most recent NAEP prior to 2020, we don't have the state-by-state state for this year yet. Florida was number one in fourth grade reading and math if you adjust for demographics, and that was done by the left-leaning Urban Institute. So I think what's happened is we have about 235,000 kids on private scholarship, mostly low-income, but not all. Uh, you have about 363,000 on charter schools, which are public schools, but they're not run by by the school district necessarily, and are really insulated from influence by the teachers unions. And then we have, of course, 67 school districts. But because we've done private choice and charters, 
the school districts are now offering more choice. So total in Florida, 1.3 million students are in some type of choice program, either within the school district, private scholarship, or charter schools. Now, the way I approach it is I say all of this stuff matters. Our homeschool parents matter. Our school districts matter. Private um, charter matters. I think some people who are in the school choice movement, because, you know, this is was birthed in like some of these urban areas where these school districts were just total disasters, that they're like, you know, we hate public schools. We've got to go to this. And then that's not the position I've taken. I, I came from public schools. So I want to have good school districts. I think when parents are empowered and they have choices, they can get their kids in the best school uh, uh, for them. But I also think it creates a healthy competition. And so what I've done is I've recognized in Georgia is the same way. You know, a lot of the rural counties or exurban counties, they're happy with their with their uh, school districts. A lot of them are happy with the schools. There may not be as much demand there. So what we're doing is while we're doing school choice and doing a big expansion of private scholarships, I've also done more to raise public school teacher salaries than any governor in the modern history of the state. We're putting things in the in school districts like financial literacy, more civics education, more opportunities for workforce education. We're now doing things to try to recruit more teachers, uh, people who are veterans or in law enforcement, all these other things. So we put a huge emphasis on our traditional school districts. So we're doing school choice in addition to not in lieu of that. Well, Governor, I got to leave it there. They're telling me the computer's about to cut us off. I sure appreciate you taking some time. I really do. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Governor Ron DeSantis, we'll be right back. Already getting angry emails from people upset I cut off the governor. Y'all don't understand how radio works. I had to let him go or we were both going to get cut off and he'd wonder what was happening. Clock management and computers, they don't give you a lot of grace in radio these days. You got to keep the show going. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Thanks again to Governor Ron DeSantis for stopping by. If you get the podcast, if you text the word show to 33777, you can get the podcast links. You can rehear the interview this afternoon when we put it up. If you're a subscriber to the daily show notes, uh, you'll get it as a standalone audio file here in a little while. Uh, Appreciate him stopping by. You know, uh, they're still railing about this. From the weekend, they're still angry about it, and at least it has forced the border into view because the media, by and large, has stopped talking about it. Outside of Fox News, the national media isn't really talking about it, and they've been forced now to confront it by what Ron DeSantis has done. Here's um, what is this, Michael Smirkanish on CNN talking about this. On the subject of border security, here's what the vice president said on Meet the Press last weekend. Roll it. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. Congressman, that's just not true, right? I mean, you're on the front line. You've spent your whole life in Laredo. The border is not secure, is it? Uh, No. Here's Henry Cuellar, the congressman down there. On the subject of border security, here's what the vice president said on Meet the Press last weekend. Congressman, that's just not true, right? I mean, you're on the front line. You've spent your whole life in Laredo. The border is not secure, is it? The border is not secure. Without due respect to the VP, uh, this look. 
we we get thousands of people along the border you know from six to eight thousand people a day they're releasing people and, and we can send you pictures and videos of what's happening in Dorio in the valley El Paso and other places uh, that people are coming in we have 1.7 million people that were encountered last year we're we're gonna have two or maybe 2.2 uh, by the end of this fiscal year in about two uh, two more weeks that's almost four million people that doesn't even include the getaways the getaways are the people that border patrol has a good idea that evaded them so you're talking about almost four plus maybe 4.4 million individuals in two years if you call that secure i don't know what uh, what secure it is no, it's it's not secure. Now, I, I got to say this again, reiterate something that we talked about in this interview. In Texas, 53 migrants in a tractor trailer coming across the border died of heat. It was over 100 degrees and they were packed in this thing and the air conditioner was broken and they died. They were found on the side of the road, people dying as they tried to climb out of this heat chamber. And the federal government has prosecuted uh, the people who were involved or is in the process of prosecuting them. But not a single federal policy changed with 53 dead migrants in Texas. 8,000 migrants are coming across the border every single day in Texas. It's a record. We've never handled this many people. You send 50 of them, however, to Martha's Vineyard, the entirety of the national press, the Democratic Party, the president and his cabinet freak out. 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard was a bridge too far. 53 in Texas dead was nothing. They say Ron DeSantis is using them as a prop as a stunt, at least he's getting them some attention to their plight because the Democrats have preferred to ignore the tragedy and the cost in Texas as long as it's those red states who are dealing with it. The Democrats all the time have accused Donald Trump of not caring about what happens in blue states. Here's a humanitarian crisis in Texas, and the Democrats hate that the Republicans are drawing attention to it. They've declared themselves sanctuary cities when you send the migrants to those sanctuary cities, they freak out and say, you're not actually welcome here. It sure would be a lot easier to take the matter seriously and close the border instead of just saying it's closed. Democrats have this belief, progressives in particular have this belief, that if they can control the language, they can control the debate. And so they say the border is closed and they believe if you say it enough, people will believe it. It's the thing they've accused Donald Trump of. By repeating a lie all the time, people believe it's true. That's what they say about Donald Trump. Same damn thing they're doing with the border. They accuse Donald Trump of being authoritarian, and yet here they are with their authoritarianism. Joe Biden flew those migrants to Jacksonville, Florida. Joe Biden was flying migrants to Jacksonville, Florida on midnight flights out of El Paso and dropping them off. Ron DeSantis sent 50 to Martha's Vineyard. You will notice not a single Democrat has said one damn word about those people being dropped off in Jacksonville, Florida. But they went to Martha's Vineyard, and you would think the world was coming to an end. Maybe we should close the border instead of just saying it's closed. Perhaps if we actually took the matter seriously, it's not a partisan position, 
a secure border. Maybe, just maybe, if we did that, this wouldn't be a problem. The level of hypocrisy from Democrats on this issue is rather stunning. They haven't wanted to deal with this issue. That's not leadership. At least Donald Trump took action, and Joe Biden has reversed his action now and exacerbated the problems. Both parties define each other by what the other party is against. They don't stand on their own. This has been one of my criticisms of people on the new right for a while. If Democrats say they're for X, these people on the new right don't say they're for Y. They say they're for negative X, exactly the opposite of whatever X is. If the Democrats are for Ukraine, they're against Ukraine. If the Democrats are for an open border, Republicans are for a closed border, except this is exactly the opposite, where it's the Democrats who have defined themselves as being in favor of an open border because Republicans want it closed. Going all the way back to the Bush administration, Republicans have said, seal the border, be secure with the border. Democrats in Congress refuse to fund it, refuse to deal with it. Barack Obama got into office. Now Joe Biden's in office. They pretended it wasn't a problem. When Donald Trump actually fixed the problem, Democrats screamed he was a racist. You know, it's not just Donald Trump who was putting kids in cages at the border. They were still there under Joe Biden. And notice how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't say anything about it now. It is rank hypocrisy on the Democratic Party side. They have become exactly what they said Donald Trump was. They have behaved exactly as they say Republicans behave. They have found an issue Republicans have a strong stand on, and they haven't come up with a different solution. They haven't come up with a different angle. They've just come out exactly the opposite of it, and the Republicans are actually on the side of where voters are. Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, as Ron DeSantis said in my interview with him, they should not be putting migrants on buses. They should not be flying migrants to Martha's Vineyard. It's notable Ron DeSantis didn't call them illegal aliens. He called them migrants. In fact, he used the phrase economic migrants. They're coming here for work, for better life. Noticeable phrase that Ron DeSantis used instead of illegal aliens. And he said they shouldn't be going to Martha's Vineyard and they shouldn't be going to progressive states. But the problem is they have to do that in order for the left to pay attention to this problem because as long as this problem exists just in Texas, just in Florida, just in red states, the Democrats don't care about it. They don't think it's a problem. They can tell everybody the border's closed. This is infuriating, and it's not just them. We've seen a number of people from outside Central America and South America come across. There have been Russians detained. There have been Ukrainians detained. There have been Middle Easterners detained. If those have been detained, what about those who haven't? How do we know how many have gotten through who didn't get captured? My buddy Chip Roy is a congressman from Texas. He's told me the story. I've had other people now tell me the story. The Border Patrol has now talked about the story that the drug cartels are using migrants crossing the border with drones. They can see where the Border Patrol is staked out. They send the the migrants towards the Border Patrol. And when those Border Patrol agents head towards the migrants to detain them, then the fentanyl runners cross at a different point. And they fire flares or guns in the air to let the Border Patrol know they've made it across. They're taunting our Border Patrol. They're pouring fentanyl across the border. They're pouring opioids across the border. They're pouring other illegal substances across the border. They're human trafficking across the border. The migrants who want to come here for a better life, they go one way and get caught. Those being trafficked, the drugs, they go a different way. Once those migrants are, are distracting the Border Patrol, this is a humanitarian crisis. It's a crime crisis. It's a national security crisis. And the best the Democrats can do is claim language 
and say, well, the border's closed. Apparently, open means closed. What's the definition of is? No means yes. Yes means no. They've turned everything on in the head. Why? Solely because they're defining themselves in opposition to whatever it is Republicans want, no matter how good the policy. And kudos to Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott for drawing attention to it. I don't like the politics of theater, but clearly Ron DeSantis doesn't either. I mean, you heard him say, if you listen to my interview with him, it's not something he wanted to do. He doesn't enjoy the theater of it, but it had to be done to get people talking about this issue because the entirety of the media outside Fox has ignored it. The entirety of the Democratic Party, the president, have ignored it. But you send 50 people to Martha's Vineyard, a place that said they were glad to take them, a place that declared itself a sanctuary for illegal aliens. So you send them there. They're like, oh, God, we can't have them here. You said you wanted them. You said it should be policy. You said you were fine, so you send 50 of them. They shut the whole island down and build a wall on the island to keep them out. Highlighting that sort of hypocrisy is sometimes necessary. You kind of want a politician who doesn't engage in the performance of stunts just for the performance of stunts, but knows when to use them as necessary to draw attention. And DeSantis did. Of course, the media is, is in high dungeon about it. This is all they can talk about. They're not even paying attention to the queen right now and, and her burial and funeral, the largest news story on the planet happening in London. Nope, they're screaming about Ron DeSantis, who got the better of them and showed that these Democrats who say we love sanctuary cities, we want sanctuary cities, bring them all here. Bring us your tired, your poor, your refugees. Well, when they get there, they round them up and ship them to a military base because they don't actually want them. They just want to claim it. They want a virtue signal without actually having to worry about having the virtue. Now, I want to jump to a phone call real quick before I get out of here. Chip, you're going to be up next. Chip, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Yeah, Eric, I talked to you the other week uh, about, say, like the uh, Trojan horse. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious what's going on. But I just got a question. They're talking about the number of people that are getting away. I heard over the weekend that the Chinese is now using the traffickers to be bringing money over to God only knows who it is. So when we have another 9-11, will the president take and say it's Trump's fault? Trump did it? Or it's the Republicans' problem? Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, undoubtedly, they'll blame the Republicans here. And, and, of course, you know, Chip, the media is going to give the Democrats a pass on this as well. They'll say, well, of course it was the Republicans who they drew so much attention to it. The Chinese and the, and the, the drug cartels knew how open the border was. Had they kept their mouth shut about it, they would have never known. I mean, this is kind of the way the media works right now. It, it's so broken at this point. It has become so partisan, it's somewhat discrediting. Well, more than somewhat discrediting. Real quick, Julian, Ca Julian Castro, the progressive from Texas, listen to him. Uh, I guess he, what, in the, in the Biden administration or some such? Listen. I hope the DOJ will investigate, uh, Lindsay, because as others have pointed out, what they're doing is they're fraudulently, fraudulently inducing these individuals who, by the way, are here legally. To seek asylum is perfectly legal. And so they're here legally. They're being fraudulently induced to cross state lines, uh, essentially for these governors' political gain. To me, these governors have basically become human traffickers. 
Ah, yes, human traffickers. So was, does that make Joe Biden a human trafficker when he rounds up aliens and puts them on a plane to Florida? Is Joe Biden also a human trafficker? By the way, you'll note from the governor, uh, DeSantis, that they all signed waivers. They all noted that they were headed to Martha's Vineyard. They were all told while, where they were going when they got on the plane. <sighs> the Democrats don't actually care about the problem. You see, he, he said they were here legally. He said they were here legally. That's what Julian Castro said, to seek asylum. They, you know, people game the system. You can show up and claim you're demanding asylum, whether you have legitimate need for asylum or not. It doesn't matter. You game the system, and then you stay. The Democrats don't want to be serious about the problem. They will not take this problem seriously unless they're forced to, and Governor DeSantis has forced them to pay attention to it. I want you to pay attention to me real quick on the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. You get three of them for less than $200, and you get free shipping, and you're saving $200, and you get to clean the air. It's actually a wonderful thing. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, and on the front page, you're greeted by a discount box. You put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You'll click through, see the 3-pack, you put it in your cart, and away you go. You get three of them for less than $200. Now, what does it do? It eliminates odors. It doesn't mask them. It wipes them out. I had to run one in my car the other day because I got in it with a lit cigar. wasn't thinking about it, and the whole place smelled like a cigar. And it worked. It wiped out the odors. I use it when I fry in the kitchen, and it wipes out the odors. You don't have to use the essential oils, ladies. You just fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and it wipes out the odors instead of masking them. Save the essential oils for other things. EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Get three of them for less than $200. Save $200. Get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Friends, I'd like to uh, laugh with you for just a moment. Please share a laugh together. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. It is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Uh, the, I'm looking at the Real Clear Politics uh, polling average in Georgia between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. The Trafalgar Group, which is Republican, has Kemp up seven. Emerson College has Kemp up four. Fox five in Atlanta has Kemp up eight. Quinnipiac has Kemp up two. Now, what you should know about Quinnipiac is that they're using the same poll sample they used in June. And in June, Democrats in Georgia, oh, not in June, uh, when was it, July, uh, no, 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 it was the end of June, end of June, June 27th. Um, and there they had a tied race. And Democrats in Georgia at the time openly said to Greg Bluestein, the chief political reporter of the Atlanta Journal, that uh, you got to add about five to the GOP. So if they now have Kemp up two when they had him tied in June, plus five using the same sample, you've got a seven-point race in Quinnipiac. His polling average is 5.3%. He's never been behind Stacey Abrams in a single poll this year. At this time in 2018, the polls were 50-50 split on who was ahead. Now, here's what's notable about how bad the Abrams campaign is. Wherever you are in the United States, you need to understand that, that the, the, the God Queen Stacey is running such a terrible campaign on Saturday. She showed up in Athens, Georgia. For those of you in Winnemataukbuck, that is the home of the University of Georgia. 
the home of the University of Georgia. She showed up there on Saturday during the college football game between the University of Georgia and the South Carolina Gamecocks of Columbia, South Carolina. She did an event on Broad Street, the big street in downtown Athens, Georgia. She did a big event. Nobody showed up because it was during the middle of a football game and it was an away game. So all of the good Athenians were in Columbia, South Carolina, only about a two-hour drive from Athens. They went over there to tailgate. So she had an event in the home of the dogs during the middle of a football game that was played out of town. Who does that? I mean, like, that's campaign management 101. My gosh, to give you an idea of this, when I got married, I was given a UGA football schedule, and my law firm said, don't get married on any of the dates of a home game. I mean, people in Georgia take it seriously, except Abrams.